You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, Earth Base units. And Veronica Daschle. Hello. And Alan couldn't be here with us this week. He uh, He's trapped in a temporal vortex, so hopefully he'll emerge next week. <laughs> but for now, uh, Keith, do we have any This Week in Trek this week? We do. And I might say, Alan may show up tomorrow. He may show up That's yesterday. Right. <laughs> <He's been laughs> <temporal vortex> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, we got just a couple of things in Trek. The first one maybe sound a little weird, but it's it's a personal one just for me, and it's it's a show episode. I was just looking at stuff that had premiered, um, and on the sixteenth of October was episode. It's one of my favorites. It's the one called "Who Watches the Watchers" from the Next mm. Generation. And I don't know if wow. y'all y'all remember that one. Yes. Oh, yeah. That is that's also a great Prime Direct episode. For those who don't remember, it's the one where the uh, Enterprise crew has to rescue some archaeologists on what is a planet of proto Vulcans. And long story short, one of them thinks Picard's a god, and it just goes to hell in a handbasket from there. <laughs> um, right. If you have a religious bent, you may get very irritated by the fact that as soon as people believe in a God, they start turning barbarous and wanting to murder people because God's telling them. <laughs> <to do stuff. laughs> and, right. You know, that's that's a fair assessment of how religions have been. Of course, there's other ways to portray it. I just love it because I think it's a really good episode. It's in that great third season where track was just getting better. Uh, what do y'all think about that episode? That that angle doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> that, to, to me, that's a feature of the episode <laughs> that yeah. it's so strongly atheistic. But yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of episodes that deal with that type of subject matter. Right. But this one just does it really well. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I just love everything about the episode. Next up on the 17th of October, back in 1943, this actress was born. And let's we'll see this line that she says. Somebody says, I can't get in, but, but you are a god. That would be uh, the, the Paradise Syndrome. That's it. I knew you would get that. Sabrina <laughs> Scharf is her name. And you may remember uh, um, she played Miramani, who oh. she was the Indian or the native person who was supposed to marry the medicine chief in that episode. And Kirk comes out of the obelisk and thinks he's the god Kirok. She's <laughs> the one who ended up marrying him. And and it's something, you know, it's also one of the about this show now, a lot of people now have really you know, we're in this thing now where we're talking about cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and brown face and so forth. And a lot of people really slam this show because there are some natives in the show, but there's a lot of white folk with brown face on, including the actress right. who plays Miramani. Mm-hmm. But also, I actually do love the show because if you think about in the late 60s, the fact that Kirk lost his memory, got a woman pregnant, got married, and then she dies in a really violent way and loses her life and the baby Trek was hitting on some cylinders sometimes. That's you think about that's really intense for television, 1960s. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those elements of just television at that time that doesn't age well today. Right. Uh, because we're 50 years in the future. 
I think it's good that our our cultural values have progressed since then. You know, I don't hold it against yeah. ni- 1960s because that that was just sort of normal to do in 1960s. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Also, I do love the episode because there's very, very, very few episodes of the original series that are so terrible that you can't find something good in uh, uh, some one thing good in every episode. I love the Star Trek science concept in that episode of the preservers. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons I like that is because they actually address the fact when McCoy says, I always wonder why there were so many humanoids around the galaxy. As in translation, why is everybody, every planet have somebody that looks just like us? And right. in this episode, they introduced the preservers who are people who took people all over the galaxy and basically seeded people on the planets across the galaxy. I thought that was an excellent way. And to this day, I also think that that repulsor beam that Kirk fi- uh, Spock fires out of the temple looks good. As do the scenes of the Enterprise under Spock's command trying to destroy the asteroid. That's it's a really good episode in a lot of ways, I think. Mm-hmm. So one of my faves. Okay, I got a, I got a couple of more here, real quick. 1922, 20th of October. Yeah, way back, just three years before my late mother was born. Um, let's see. Okay. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand the love of my crime. I didn't just kill one of them or a thousand. I killed all of them everywhere. Is the grief of one man worth the life of 80 billion people? <laughs> that ring a yep. bell? Yep. That's um, uh, John. Uh-huh. John. No, uh, no, <laughs> I, I can't pull his. I can't pull his last name out of my brain. It's not Adams, but it's John. You're, you're right there. It's John Robert Anderson. Anderson, John Anderson. Um, and for he's for a great those, old character actor. He is, and for those who know, John Robert Anderson is this guy. And the only way to say this, this he's an actor who is often confused for the elder Carradine from the Carradine family because they kind of sort of <laughs> okay. look alike. And to your yeah. point, Charles, he looked. He's one of those actors that must have looked old when he was young because he's always looked about like he looked up until the day he died. But yeah. um, Veronica, what we're talking about is the episode, The Survivors, The Next Generation. And it's the one where the Enterprise discovers a planet where the entire planet is blown to, to hell. It's like a desert, except for a little plot of Greenland where an old couple's hanging out. Oh, yeah. And they're we always dancing. We recently saw that. Because <laughs> yeah. we've been watching that instead of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's so funny because they're always dancing. And what it turns out is uh, his uh, John Robert Anderson's character is called Kevin Uxbridge. And he's a member of some incredibly powerful race called the Daud. Long story short, what happens is his planet was attacked by some race that he calls hideously intelligent called the Husma. And he is an incredible pacifist. And despite the fact that he could have basically gotten, and as far as I can say, he probably could have taken care of this alien invasion fleece with a flick of his finger. Then he lost his mind and killed them everywhere in the known universe. Every one of the men, women, children. And then he recreated his wife, an image of his wife, but he could never really recreate her. And so that's, that's what the episode was about, is them trying to understand the mystery. And Troy, who empath- empathically could have figured out what was going on, he's basically destroying her mind throughout the show, so she doesn't. It's a good episode. It's another season three. So I have a kind of mm-hmm. special fondness for it. Even though you look at it now and it's kind of obvious because like there's a, there's a scene where Picard is doing all the stuff and to make the drama go, Riker and everybody in the bridge is go, oh, wow, what's going on? And they're, they're, they're kind of being extra dense. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's a really really great episode yeah that episode has kind of a twilight zone feel to it yes. where you this a destroyed planet with like one house left yes. and the, who's the old couple in the house you know what's <laughs> right. the secret you know that, that would be right at right uh it wouldn't be out of place at all in a twilight zone episode yeah yeah and, and two more real quick these i gotta do that also 19 uh, um 20th of october 1934 this person was told in an episode where we come from, size, color, and race doesn't matter. And no one has the power. Oh, is it um, Michael Dunn? That's it. From? Um, Plato's Stepchildren. Right. Considered by many, most fans, to be one of the absolute worst Star Treks of all time. <laughs> yes. um, it it kind of sort of gets the pass because it has, which most people forget, is not the first interracial kiss, but one of the first interracial mm-hmm. kisses on television. But it's the one where basically you got a bunch of people sitting around in Greek togas who have um, mental powers and they're incredibly strange, psychopathic, sociopathic people. <laughs> yeah. Michael Dunn was great in that episode. He was, he was also another great old actor. Something I didn't realize in researching this is Michael Dunn was seriously, and I mean seriously, considered to play Baylock oh, for, really? in, the, in the episode, The Corvamite Veneer Hoover. But he was also very, very seriously being considered by Gene Roddenberry to play Spock. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's notes on this. And Gene Berry talked about it. And he actually was seriously considering Michael Dunn to play Spock. Hmm. which is fascinating. Michael Dunn was an Emmy award, um, Emmy nominated and an Oscar nominated actor. He was a phenomenally good actor. And I, it would be completely different to have him play Spock, but I could see something like that. I could see that make that work going on along the guys. The last one I got to do, because this is an important 22 October, 1938. Um, my favorite of the OS movies. Let's see. What did he say? Um, but it's a good thing that he said on this show. Okay, Kirk says, you fool, look at you, the plant's destroying itself. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Oh, oh, um, is that Christopher Lloyd? That's Christopher Lloyd, who played Commander Krug in mm-hmm. Star Trek, The Search for Spock. And those of us of a certain age will have to remember that we knew Christopher Lloyd as Jim on Taxi. <laughs> And then people knew him, of course, as Doc Brown from um, Back to the Future movies. Yeah. Um, there are those who think that he didn't work as a sinister Klingon. I actually like him as crew. I think he works. And I, I actually like, and that's actually my favorite of the OS movies. I like it more than The Wrath, The Con, and The Voyage really? Home. Yeah, I do. And I know I'm weird like that. Yeah. I think um, it's the sacrifice. It's one of those movies where it's so deeply emotional. Every time mm. you see Kirk with the Enterprise destroyed, um, every time you do a little scene where Kirk says, you, you know, you cling on bastard, you killed my son. It's just an emotionally uh, engaging movie for me. Sure. But did y'all like Christopher Lloyd as Krug? Yeah, he's not, weird. yeah he's not one of my top <laughs> Klingons. I like Christopher Lloyd a lot. Uh, yeah. I don't think that they really tapped his potential. You know, yeah. if what Christopher Lloyd could bring to a movie, I don't think is really capturing Krug. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's, I mean, watching him play a Klingon is like now watching, um, I don't remember his real name, but the, the guy who voices Boimler, watching him oh. with the boys. <laughs> yeah. It was very disturbing and I could only see Boimler. I, I, could, I would like to have seen Christopher uh, Lloyd play a, a, a Klingon more like Gowron. Yeah. Oh, been, I see that. A, a little wilder, type. you know? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Cool. Well, that's this weekend Trek. History. Awesome. Well, 
let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. Okay. Thank you. In the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, your pizza delivery guys, Dan, Sean, and Paul, serve you a slice of life. We talk to women in comedy, voice actors, film directors and producers, authors. We also talk about conspiracy theories, the Muppets, our top three films of the decades, famous people we confuse with each other, and our favourite stand-up comedians. We have recast Star Trek the Original Series and Babylon 5, and created our alternative superheroes. But most of all, we have had so much fun doing it every two weeks. Two weeks! The Cosmic Pizza Podcast is not about the cosmos or about pizza. Okay, so this week in Trek, we want to talk about that thing we always talk about, Star Trek and all these science fiction shows. They're predictive shows. They're futurist shows. And people like Gene Roddenberry or people like um, Michael Straczynski for Babylon 5, the creators behind The Expanse, they give us a vision of the future. And sometimes we look at that and we say, is this realistic? Will we be like that 200 years from now? And not just technologically, we often talked about, well, are we going to ever have warp drive? Are we ever going to have force fields? We're going to have artificial gravity. But there's other things, of course. Is racism going to be gone when Gene Rondry says racism is going to be gone? (laughs) Are we going to have what is effectively a world government at that time? Will we have replicators? Will everybody have a home fusion unit in the future? (laughs) So we just want to kind of talk about what do we think the future will be like in the time of Star Trek, which I we didn't really specify so you could do enterprise through i don't know if you want to jump all the way to discovery but <laughs> what do you think of the future will be like or won't be like what will be you what 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 this track show about the future you think may be realistic what do you think won't happen by then so mm-hmm. i have random veronica thought to throw in there when you said awesome. replicators uh-huh. um i thought of replicators from stargate and not like <laughs> food replicators oh those little, <laughs> okay. the little the little little spidery things that's yeah. what i thought of at first and then i was like why would we have those? And then it, so <laughs> random Veronica thought, yay. Well, the those might that, be more, yeah. so those might be more realistic than actual replicators. Because on one hand, you're talking about storing an energy pattern and materializing right. it into a right. food that people then can eat versus like the Stargate replicators, which are just robots that <laughs> take in raw materials and replicate themselves and spider around and kill people you know exactly (laughs) (laughs) i I don't think that we'll ever have transporters or warp drive what do you think think, i i I agree with chuck i think i feel like replicators may potentially be a thing but not the way that star trek has it it's going to be more like 3d printing basically right and chuck what you're saying there is you're hitting two of probably three of the single most important things in all the Trek Trek technology that people pray for. But why do you think Mm -hmm. we won't have those? I think it's just the, the, the scientific limits. I think that warping space and the way they do Star Trek in order, I mean, maybe it's possible, but I don't know that we will ever get there as a society to, to to, to invest the technology needed to have an easy to build and compact, you know, way to warp space and move a vehicle right. at you know i mean we, we have hard enough time getting out of orbit so <laughs> we have been true. we've been messing around in low earth orbit for 50 years now right right yeah. i mean it's possible there'll be a breakthrough of some kind of faster than light but mm-hmm. uh 
that to me that and transporters are both and holodecks i mean they're they're storytelling devices mm-hmm. they're how you get the story going you know right. what i mean just right. like i don't think that if we made it into space there would be you know thousands of humanoid species who are almost exactly like us exactly (laughs) (laughs) they they have a funny ears and different customs aside from that they're just humans you know right yeah i agree with you because i agree scientifically and and, and i actually i think and actually our earth station track group one of the uh in a facebook group recently i had posted something about that and someone said that i've I've gone here too someone said Never say never. And the most common example that is used is that for literally thousands of years that humans would never be able to fly. That's the most common example used, but we learn to fly. But follow up on what you said, Charles, but here's the difference. In nature, you see flight examples of flying all the time, from right. a bumblebee to a gnat to a bird mm-hmm. uh, to flying fish and all this kind of weird stuff. There is no example in nature of faster than light travel. The only thing in the entire known universe that travels fast in light is the universe itself. You know, the, un- the fabric of the universe expand is, ex- is expanding faster than life, light. And, but that means the universe is expanding faster than light. And since we're inside the universe, we cannot go faster than light. Now, of course, the whole concept of the warp drive is it takes advantage of the fact that the fabric of the universe can travel faster than light. And then... Well, it doesn't, it, it kind of carries the enterprise with it, depending on how you define warp. But I agree with you. I read a study recently that says that they were thinking you could might do a really quick minor warp fold, but to do it would take minimal the amount of energy in the entire planet Jupiter. Jupiter is, has a mass of 333 times that of Earth. And using Einstein's theory of relativity, they're talking about taking Jupiter and taking that entire planet and converting it into pure energy. As in enough energy to probably blow up the entire solar system, just the halfway t- kind of sort of try to warp space. So right. I, I agree with you. I don't see that one coming. And then the whole thing with um, with the transporter, there's this whole thing in physics you've probably heard of called the uncertainty principle. And the uncertainty principle, bottom line, says this. If you can look at any kind of object like an atom or a subatomic particle, scientifically, you can tell where it is. Like you can say it's right there, kind of, sort of. But as soon as you see where it is, the fact that you observed it, like if you sent some light in to look at it, you've added energy to it. So you've now messed up its energy state. So you can't tell where it is and exactly measure its energy state at the same point in time. Anyway, this principle is called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And the reason that's a problem is because the transporter converts all of our trillions of atoms into pure energy. And the point is, how do you keep track of all that? Um, if you every now and then pay attention to Star Trek, like if you read the module, the, the, the manuals or listen to some shows, they actually have, it's so awesome. They have a MacGuffin device that is called the Heisenberg Compensator. Right. <laughs> and yep. it's literally just a device that they just made up to get around that principle of physics. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I think if, if transporters ever were to happen, I, I think it would be more like you know, the old thing where it's just disintegrating you and creating a, a copy of you. Yes, you, exactly. you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. I remember that fan film. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a fan film. <laughs> it wasn't a fan was film, a, but it was basically Star Trek, but not Star Trek. Yeah. There's a thing called Voyage Trekkers, and it's kind of a, a spoofy okay. of Star Trek. But they did mm-hmm. an episode where they find they they find out that their transporters kill, and it wow. <laughs> murders you every time. And like everyone wow. on the ship knows, but this one guy, so they get him to beam down. <laughs> <laughs> 
there uh, I'm get, I'm going a little further afield, so forgive me. But there's an episode of the the new star, the new Twilight Zone series, not the most recent one with Jordan Peele, but I forget the name of the actor. But it's the actor who played Veronica Mars' father in the series. He's he's oh, been around um, a lot. Uh, Enrique. Codolini. Uh, mm. Yes, okay. he yeah. stars. In an episode of a Twilight Zone where uh, a Saurian race, uh, race of reptiles, has come to Earth, and they can send you from Earth to their home planet in a solar system thousands of light years away. But this is what they do: they put you in what looks like a stasis field. How much you're saying, um, Charles? They put you in a stasis field, and in their case, they map your entire body down to the quantum level. And then they basically 3D print you in their other universe because they have cracked the ability to send information fast in the light, but right. nothing else fast in the light. Here's the problem, though. When they're done, they always say, you must balance the equation because they've 3D printed you in another solar system. You're still on Earth and you're still <laughs> alive. There is literally a 100% perfect clone of you. So they kill you. on. <laughs> the on earth and then you wake up on the other planet and they just don't tell you that they killed you (laughs) (laughs) and during the episode there's a mistake where they think a lady doesn't get transmitted as it were to another planet and then they find out that she did and she's alive in two places at once and literally the entire existence of the technology and the relationship of the entire planet earth with this civilization hinges on this one fact that woman must be killed it is the highest law of these people. And the episode deals with that. It's a fantastic episode if you ever get around to seeing it. Is that that's from the early 2000s, the Irish Stephen Bear Twilight Zone? Yeah. Or is that I the 80s one. Oh, uh, I, I got to look at that. that one because I'm going to argue with them so hard. <laughs> I need to it check because I've got them on DVD, good. but I don't remember the 2000s with having an episode that's that good. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up. It might be the 80s one. Well, I mean, getting back to the topic. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about humanity? No. You know, 400 years from now. Do you think we're going to be? <laughs> no, not unless we start killing all the stupid racist people. I love Veronica. She instantly says, Veronica instantly goes, no. <laughs> people are inherently bad and not enough people teach. This is what you're supposed to do to be a decent human being. And too many people are out for themselves and no one else. Hmm. And that's something that you have to teach children. Agreed. Adults are not good people. Well, do you think that humanity (laughs) is better now than we were, say, 400 years ago? Yes. In my opinion, absolutely. And I'll I'll, I'll have to tell you why. It's not like I'm ever shrink from doing this as a black person. I know racism. I know the racism my dad went through. My father, the last 15 years of his life, well, not last 15 years of his life, the last 15 years of his employed life, he worked on a furnace for an aerospace company. um, And he made frames for helicopters and so forth. And he had two guys who literally spent all their time calling him N-word and trying to sabotage his work, as in damaging the country company by if he went to lunch they would go in and mess with his furnace he even had a boss who had announced his retirement and my dad told me this story the boss's boss said um thomas johnson is going to take your place but it turned out my dad's boss was such a racist that he didn't want a black man to become the supervisor he held on and rescinded his resignation and stayed an extra two years 
just to make sure my dad could get that promotion because he didn't want him over white people. I wow. say all that for a reason. I have been a lead in IT, and although I deal with racism, I don't deal with racism like that. Right. Nobody would dare call me inward to my face. In my dad's time, they did. And when I, before I was born, my dad drove a furniture truck. And his boss, and this is ironic, his boss, who was Jewish and a really nice guy, called our neighborhood in town, inward mm. town. It right. was just saying, he told my dad, hey, Ben, take a, take a load down to inward town. And mm-hmm. it was, it was and what do you do? Now, you may say, because I would say, you know, I would just quit. Yeah, right. 1950, <laughs> right. black man, eighth grade education. My dad had to drop out in eighth grade to work a farm. What's he going to do? Right. Yeah. Although racism exists, it is not like that. Mm-hmm. So we have absolutely given, I can see it. We have absolutely gotten better. But at the yeah. same time, and I think 400 years now, we're going to get better. But at the same time, I agree with Veronica. I don't think humanity will have stepped as far ahead 400 years socially as Roddenberry believed in. I think the things that we're going through right now shows that we're still going to be doing that two steps forward, one step back. You know, I think if you look at the stuff that's going on in American politics, I think if you look at the, the craziness that Putin is doing right now, I don't see us making that leap. In 200 yeah. years to the where nobody cares about racism. I just I don't think humanity is going to progress that fast socially. But that's yeah. me. What about what about you, Charles? I think I fall sort of between you guys. I think that I hopefully will continue to advance sort of socially, but I don't know that human nature ever changes. You that's know, I true. think people are still people. I think there, I mean, there are people right now who would call you any kind of word they can think of, but they're just outnumbered and it's not socially <laughs> acceptable anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and true. I think we saw a lot of that over like the 2016 to 2020 period where a lot of folks were suddenly emboldened to be, you know, however, to act in ways that right. otherwise that they they would sort of shamed into not acting. Every few years, it seems like we're taking a slide back, like it's two step forward, one yes. step back. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I, mean, I think it'd be very easy for humanity to not progress socially, to, to make a U-turn, you know? There's there's two things about that that have always fascinated me, uh, guys. One is Runberry himself even kind of showed that humanity was still messed up because we had just had a world war and it was one man, basically Zephyr Cochran creating Warp Drive that kind of saved us because we don't know where humanity would have gone in the way he wrote the future if the Vulcans hadn't stepped in because of Warp Drive. Because it's very right. possible that, you know, somebody would have taken that warp drive and it would have gone on to be yet the next war because they still mm-hmm. had factions. You remember in First Contact, they were mm-hmm. still suspicious people. Roddenberry, by the time TNG, was so much more of kind of this of humanist who felt we were going to take a quantum leap. I much mm-hmm. prefer the, the humanity that Kirk portrayed because mm-hmm. in the original series, they're not saying that racism and hatred and greed and stuff is gone from humanity. They're just saying we're fighting harder to keep it buried. And what I love about the original series is Kirk is pretty much always saying, yeah, look, I want to kill that guy. I got this racism in me. I got all this bad stuff in me. But what's the famous quote? I won't kill today. I want to, but I won't. I think that's more what we're going to be like in the future. I think that stuff Mm -hmm. will still be in us, but we will hopefully be trying to hold it down just a little better. But for the species to completely change where racism and sexism and greed and that stuff is not even in our DNA, nah. I think yeah. it's programmed it's too much. Yeah, we do. I mean, we do see that in Star Trek, though, where there's mm-hmm. there's bad morals, there's bigots, there's <laughs> yeah. there, there are more outliers though than they you know today they fit right in. You know, it kind of right. reminds me of the the time after time when uh, Jack the Ripper came to the future and he said, "Here, I'm an amateur." You know? Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> but I, I, unfortunately, I, 
if humanity stayed the way we are right now into the Star Trek future, I think we'd be the Ferengi. Yes. Good point. <laughs> that is exactly you know, what the Ferengi were. Greedy and selfish and sniveling, you know. And had to buy the technology. We didn't even develop it on ourselves. Right. <laughs> because we didn't care about sciences. We only cared about profit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what about something you think he got right that we will have in the future, 400 years from now, say? One thing I can tell you, if, if I just jump back to technology because it's kind of easy and it's kind of a whole, I think we will have controlled fusion by then. I know we better have controlled fusion by then. Controlled fusion has been coming next year ever since I've been looking at it. And I've been looking at controlled fusion since I was like 10 years old. But surely 400 years from now, we'll finally be able to get it right. And that would be an absolute game changer. I think... Um, I don't think antimatter is practical. Well, you know, I don't know because we can make antimatter. We use it right now. PET scans, mm -hmm. positron emission topography. That's what it stands for. We use antimatter, but creating it is like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times more expensive than the so-called value you get out of it. And then, of course, we would have to have some kind of technology. But, you know, I think antimatter might be possible because you need a magnetic bottle. And you mm -hmm. guess what? You'd also need a magnetic model for to do controlled fusion. So yeah. I think those are possible 400 years from now. And if we could crack, especially fusion technology, that would just, man, that would just mm -hmm. mean so much. We'd get rid of fossil fuels. Um, it would just be an amazing step forward for humanity. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, as 3D printing technology progresses, I don't mm -hmm. know that it'd ever be to the level of a replicator, but right. I think it would be disruptive in a similar sort of way mm -hmm. where... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, even just something that Veronica and I talk about a lot is the fact that clothes are never the right size. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the That's fact true. that they could, they could, they could, you could go to a store and they could just take a, like an image of you and then make clothes that actually fit you, and right. not clothes that are, have a number on them. And then it's supposed, you know what I mean? As <laughs> if, you know what I mean? Because people's bodies aren't the same. Right. And so, I mean, things like that, where you could have things custom made. Um, yeah, where just like with a replicator where you can just mm -hmm. list what exactly you want down to as specific as you want to be and it'll make it um, that we could get there with 3D printing technology where you could, I mean, maybe not anything from one printer, but you may have one that's for textiles or one that's for food or one that's for tools. You know what I mean? I mean, not long ago, they emailed a wrench to the space station and they, they emailed the file for the <laughs> wrench and they 3D printed it there on the space station. You know what I mean? Things like that that I think would be hugely disruptive technology as it continues to take off. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true because I also know that they, we've taken our first tentative steps into 3D printing organs mm -hmm. because, right. um, you know, because of the type of material. So you, you, you're making a very good point. I've, I've often thought, and I think that's very realistic. I definitely could see 400 years from now, you're right. You could be sick and a doctor literally just emails the medicine to your home console. And you 3D print the medicine right there. You don't even have to go to the store. Wow. Um, you're right. You could, you could, you uh, could well, say. Well, I don't know about the medicine because you'd have to have the product in your printer. <laughs> so you'd have to have the, you'd have to have the right raw materials to be combined. Right. right. Yeah. Well, you know, 400 years from now, who knows? Uh, <laughs> depends on what it is, you know? Yeah. I guess it depends on how far broken down the, the raw materials can be. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I yeah, mean, they if it's just down to elements, down then that's maybe easier. But I mean that that would also be um pretty dangerous too with, with hackers and bootleg yes. medicines and drugs if you Absolutely. just print things at your house. Printing guns. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's 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 a lot of weird stuff in organic chemistry. There's this whole thing about there's a thing called left-handed and right-handedness to molecules. 
Um, and there's a thing where sometimes you got to be careful because you can have two things that react kind of like each other. And one of them, the body can t- absorb it. And sometimes it's just the body just doesn't react with it's almost like you're not even eating or absorbing it. But sometimes it, it could also be incredibly um, painful. But Charles, I think you said something else I find really fascinating because I see this all the time. And I hate to be this way, but sometimes this irritates me. You know, when you see those articles where they'll say they just created a Star Trek fill in the blank and you read right. it and it's nothing like a Star Trek thing. It's just a That's general right. concept. To what you're saying, that's the thing I think is very important to remember. Even the 3D printing we're talking about, where you can in the future print an organ or even print medicine, it's not the same as a replicator. Because a replicator is much, much closer to transporter technology, where they're basically Mm -hmm. going in and just rearranging stuff on a subatomic level. And I've seen some of the articles where people say, well, the 3D printer is a replicator. No. No, no, no. Not the same thing at all. No. Uh, Except for when they use the an actual 3D printer as the replicator on Discovery. <laughs> don't get me. That was the card. And don't get me started. Sorry. <laughs> I yeah. got so mad about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I say here. I think real quick and generally, I think that the best technology of Trek is, um, is realistically probably not going to be possible. Warp drive, artificial gravity, force seals, and transporter. There's the physics of the universe as we know it doesn't support it. I think some of the social things obviously are doable, but I don't think we'll be as far along. But I think it's in all those other technologies that are much more close to which in our grasp, such as um, colonies on Mars and fusion power and 3D printing that is close to replicator. I think those things are very possible. And yeah. But I think at the end of the day, if we socially grow, that's probably the most important thing because, guys, we can still kill ourselves tomorrow. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested to hear what other people think. This is a topic that can go on and on. Um, yeah. So, I mean, drop drop a comment on the Facebook group. I'd love to I'd love to see this keep going because I'd love to see what, what everybody else thinks about this. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a quick break from another fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Lower Deck. So stay If you were a monster kid growing up, if you enjoyed Saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee or staying up all night watching the midnight feature, then Monster Attack is the podcast for you. We not only look at classic old monster movies, we share our experience growing up as a monster kid. Join us every Monday for Monster Attack. Spoiler. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yep. See? All right. Yeah. So we're, we're talking oh about L- Lower Deck, uh, the episode <laughs> Trusted Sources that just came out today as we're recording this. Uh, any any first impressions? What did, I mean, any hot takes? What did everybody think? I was actually thinking it was just okay and it was fine and I wasn't sure what was going on. And then, holy Hannah, the uh, freaking Bream. Right. Um, <laughs> I, well, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it was like, okay, I was just kind of sitting there. Like, yeah. I was like, what? Wait, wait, the breed? The breed <laughs> are one of my favorite races. They they just really? are. It may, yeah, I think, even though I know people say they look like the whatever from Star Wars. They do. Um, yeah, they look just <laughs> like them. The way the brain were introduced will forever determine how I feel about them. They were introduced in Deep Space Nine. 
I think, right? Is that the first time we saw the Greens? Or I no? think they were first mentioned on Next Gen and first seen on DS9. Yeah. But when they came in, they did them right. Even though they look like the Star Wars characters, they were, they were mysterious. They were menacing. They did something which you rarely see in Star Trek sometimes. They came up with a new weapon, a completely mm. new type of technology, the thing that could immobilize starships. Um, I actually like the weird way they talk. <laughs> I like I that too. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that they rolls through the ranks to become number two in the in the dominion in the alpha quadrant i just love the breen and so i was stunned and then of course we've discussed lauren dex does some of the best battles i've ever seen is not just because you can do more with animation than live action that animation is damn good when they do battles every single time i was like wow wow so i enjoyed it end up loving it Yeah, I was kind of like that too. Like the mm-hmm. the first probably two thirds of the episode, it yeah. felt kind of like a an episode that should have been a season season and a half ago. You exactly. know, where Ransom's exactly. being creepy on this um, reporter and Mariners in trouble, and the captain's yes. incompetent again. And I was right. like, man, this is a big a big step back for the show. You know, yeah, I was stunned about that. I actually wrote because y'all remember that Mariner would get on my nerves more than not sometimes. I actually wrote Mariner is going backwards because why in the hell would she think that taking that reporter and telling her all those stories? I mean, there's there's having a certain type of personality and there's like knowing better. I mean, and it just Mm -hmm. you're right. It felt like first season Mariner. It just made no sense to me. And then so I didn't know where the show was going. But then all of a sudden they just did this turn and there's the brain. What? 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 (laughs) (laughs) What threw me off at the beginning when Mariner's just covered in pie. And, and just, it's yeah. she's like what wa- wa- tracking pie tracking everywhere. Pie everywhere. Yes, like how yes. much pie was on her shoes? Yeah, like that felt like season one Mariner. Like how there's exactly. pie in the turbo lift. Like I yes, I, it, it gets to the point where it's not really funny to me. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's um and the same kind of thing where like where Rutherford like rips his shirt off for no reason, and I was like, why exactly is he off? I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So on that that part of the episode, I was. Eh. I mean, what I didn't hate it. I wasn't mm-hmm. angry about it. It was mm-hmm. just kind of there. But yeah, it was when the and then the breed came into the show and it, <laughs> like <laughs> kicked it up a notch. What did you think, Veronica? Um, I mean, I'm with you guys. It was it was okay. I wasn't thinking about character developments, but there wasn't anything really interesting going on in, until um the captain was like, You're leaving because you're a terrible person. Mm. That's what I got interesting for me. She was yeah. being sent off the ship and ev- everyone except for her three three close buddies. Like, right. I mean, I actually technically Boimler thought she did something too. Right. But- <laughs> well, it's a fair, it's a fair guess. Yeah. You know, it's not a, an unreasonable assumption with Mariner, you know? Yeah. Um, what did you think about Starbase 80? What the heck do they do there? I know, right? We've been <laughs> talking do- about it. <laughs> Why do they have this crappy Starbase? <laughs> I kept thinking they would like sense. talk about how Starbase 80 would be terrible and then you'd finally yeah. see it and it was fine. And right. it's like, oh, this place is the worst. But no, it really is. They have crappy old like Final Frontier era shuttles and <laughs> like everyone smells like garbage. Ha- they have their their or Rolodex. Rolodex. <laughs> like, like that went out before Star Trek. Right. Before it Star Trek was a thing. It kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, because we were just talking about what's what's the future of Trek. And I think in that world and in that organization, I don't think I don't see how you'd have a a Starbase 80. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're always going to have no matter what organization, you're always going to have slackers. You're always going to have people who aren't as, you know, into it. But that I don't think so. 
Yeah, I mean, I could see like if it was like a, a Nimbus three, like a like a way frontier place, and it's you know what Boring. I mean. But even then, I feel you did. They'd have a newer shuttle than they had. They had like it was really like a Star Trek five shuttle. <laughs> right. I don't think those yeah. even do warp. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. And not I'm only that, that, if this place is so far away, how do they get there so fast? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't think the Federation would have a place like that. It, yeah. You just wouldn't. I mean, even in the United States military now, you don't you don't have a naval base, an army base where people are like, oh, my God, don't send me there because they're driving like 1940s Jeeps. Right. And everybody's like drunk <laughs> or something all the time. Right. And, like, and none, of, none of the officers tuck in their shirts or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's just not possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And they don't, they're wearing like Vietnam era uniforms, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's only on shows like NCIS or somewhere they go to some depot in the middle of nowhere. And that's like one place. And there's one dude like that, you know. Right. But not it's like um, if y'all know the original NCIS, it's like uh, what's her name? Abby, the character Abby who dresses. She's a goth, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You have people like that, but you wouldn't have it. No, you wouldn't have an entire base it, it, like that. It just wouldn't exist. No. Not in that time. Mm-hmm. It was funny. But but I will say Starbase 80. And the way Mariner was acting and the way Ransom was acting in the shows, those are the things that people who hate Lower Decks and will never, never give it a chance. They point out the stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations with people and I'll say, no, no, no. It's like the Orbital. It's not quote unquote as silly as you may have thought it was going to be. And then they'll see something like this tonight and they'll go, see, that's why I hate that show. That's why I never give right. it a chance. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, I wondered if and I don't know this, but I, I was wondering watching it, like, did they write this like? two years ago and like this yes. is an old script or something you know because it yeah. it felt like the characters were uh, and plus they're they're following up on the season one cliffhanger where they're right. like now we're gonna we're gonna stop by more planets and check on them and then they just didn't for two years yeah, yeah. and now they're like hey now we're getting back to this like this this episode should have been like but between season one and two exactly and i even thought that the the name again i know the show the show balances humor and drama but the name project swing by does not sound like a a military name it just it sounds weird you know well and the the reporter's name was like news a (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was a very strange episode. <laughs> now, the one thing that was, I will say the one thing that was kind of sort of funny because it just, it points out this thing, especially with Kirk. I did like when they were talking about the mission and Ransom says, Picard did so-and-so, and then he just left. I liked I, that. I did kind of like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah. And I like following up. That. Yeah. I like following up with those guys from Symbiosis. Yeah, we were actually just rewatching Symbiosis before this because I mm-hmm. I haven't voluntary what voluntarily watched Symbiosis in many years. Oh Lord, no, me neither. <laughs> Lord, no, dude. It's it's <laughs> all right. It's very heavy handed, but I did like Was following it? up with those species and okay. um, you know seeing what happened to just with this random planet where you know so, a, a captain made a decision and flew away and see yeah. what happened next. You know. So were you actually able to sit through symbiosis again? Because I can't. Yeah. No, it was it was fine. It was it's not, you know, it's not one of next gen's bests, but it's not right. as bad as I as I feared it would be. It it's fine. It's it's yeah. it's not a great episode. It's uh it's all right. It's got Mary Futrick in it, you know. Yeah, like no, that's true. I think I think what you're saying is correct, Charles, because I was watching it, it felt like it was a first season lower decks because as you said. Yeah, they, the, the, the balance of the humor and the drama is a delicate thing for this show, but this felt more like season one humor because mm-hmm. 
at the same time, this is a really big deal because uh, and the whole second contact and so forth thing is because many times Picard has done this thing where he's left. But I'm kind of like, what the hell? Um, also, in, was it first or second season? There's that episode, Loud. Is it Loud as a Whisper? It's the one where the diplomat is deaf, mute, and he mm. only communicates with a, with a, he has a chorus of people around him. Right. And Riva, what's his name? Riva. Mm-hmm. And they go to a planet where he's going to stop this, this um, civil war that's been going on for decades, and his chorus gets killed. And at the end of the episode, they're like, what do we do? Because he's the great Riva, but he doesn't have his chorus to speak for him. He can't speak. He's mute. And at the end of the show, Riva is going to get the two factions to stop fighting by giving them something in common. So Riva is going to teach both sides sign language. Now, that show is weird to me because they're literally like killing each other as we speak. And this dude is at a table in the middle of nowhere. and He's going to teach them the sign, but he can't talk. And then Picard says, Troy, good job. And they warp away. (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell? And, and, right. and I wrote that story five minutes later. Somebody would come over to kill, kill and kill everybody, including Riva. <laughs> and so when right. I saw this tonight, it was like, oh, this is one of those shows that addresses the things we always talk about. There's so many times where even Picard, they just leave. You're like, and they don't even take a second to say we left. At least in the original series, sometimes Kirk would say they left behind like a cultural team to mm-hmm. guide the planet. Sometimes in Star Trek, on Next Generation, they don't even do that. So right. the, the swing by thing I thought was a cool concept. But the way they played it off is like first season hijinks and yuck, yuck didn't work. For yeah. Me. Yeah. 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 I agree with you there. I feel like they needed a way to get Mariner off the Cerritos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why they yeah. stuck that in there. And I did like the twist that it was everyone else who told on them yes. on themselves. And Mariner was the only one who was positive about the about the experience. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> she was the only cheerleader for the crew. Everyone else is letting slip stories that make them look bad. Right. (laughs) I think sometimes I think and I think, again, what the show did to me again is it keeps I'm suspending a disbelief a whole lot for Mariner to have done all this stuff and still be an ensign. And this show kind of pushed me back to she comes off as an unrealistic character. Yeah, that that's mm-hmm. the thing. And and uh, that's why, like you said, it felt like a. it did. Like you said, Charles, when you said that it just crystallized, like, oh, he's right. It sounds like a script they left in the drawer from yeah. season one and they pulled it back out and then tacked some brain onto it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, let's get to the brain then. How did you, how did you feel about the brain? Love them. <laughs> they they I, look I, like brain to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I thought they were pretty cool. Again, I just like the brain. I like their looks. I like the voices and the sounds and it was, and it kind of, it saved the show that I was just meh on at that point. Mm. Yeah. It definitely so, kicked it up a notch. Absolutely. Yeah. So the last well, third I liked, the first two thirds, I was just kind of there. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Veronica, do you like the Breen? Yes. Or did you like them in Lord X? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the the Breen ships look like Breen ships too. They, it, yes. I mean, they, they, they really try to get the details on these things. Right. Right. Well, well, right. what do we think about this uh, Starfleet automated ships? Hmm. <sighs> That's another one introduced in a comedy show that is some ser- that's a that's a serious thing because if you think about it, Star Trek from the original series has always struggled with this whole concept of robotic and automated ships because yeah. to go back to the days that are not politically correct, Kirk says to Dr. Daystrom, <gasps> there are things men must do to remain men and just mm-hmm. plug replace men with men and women and, and people. Right. Um, that's that's kind of scary to have a fully robotic ship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is where Jeffrey Combs and 
peanut hamper coming back in. That's that's my guess. Because oh. the crazy AIs are going to take over the fully automated ship. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yes. big yes. setup. Yeah, yeah, I think that Peanut Hamper and Agamus are definitely going to hack these ships next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the whole yeah. concept of robotics is it's it's it strikes at the core of what it is to be human. I mean, because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things robots can do, what we don't have to do. But if we don't do that, then what are we? I mean, do yeah. you really just want to sit at home and have a hundred inch television screen and look at the surface of Mars? Or would you like to be able to go there and walk the surface of Mars someday? Sure. That is well, what makes us human. Yeah. This is a bigger discussion topic than we can throw it in yeah. the last 10 minutes of the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just thinking of several several different questions about that. I was like, no, that's <laughs> we're not gonna have time to discuss that. That's a good we'll we'll put a pen in that topic for later yeah. on. Right. But um I thought it was a, a cool development. You know, mm-hmm. it seemed like a logical thing because Starfleet, like I said, I mean back to the M5 days, they were experimenting right. with this sort of thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, we even saw like in the original series, Kirk couldn't fly the Enterprise away by himself. You need, a, right. you, need you have to have a crew. You can't operate exactly. with one person. But then exactly. by the time of Star Trek Four, mm-hmm. they're able to automate the Enterprise. Or Star Trek Three, they're able to automate the Enterprise and hijack it, and then you, you can run it with just the bridge crew. Exactly. Right. Right. And then the the, ne- and the next generation Enterprise is supposed to be even more so. Where I mean, it was just Picard and Riker at one point in one one zero zero one one. I'm gonna mess the numbers up. Yeah. But, um, where they can just fly it back. You know what I mean? Exactly. So much yeah. of the ship is automatic. So, I mean, it, it's, it seems logical that the Starfleet could just build automatic, automated ships. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That would be really handy during the Dominion War if they had automated ships and they're not yes. losing crew after crew after crew fighting the Dominion. They're just losing ships, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. you don't have to worry about things like, you know, um, life support. Life support. Mm-hmm. Keeping a crew trained, operated. If, if, if it's just a pew-pew. Or just a scan of the planet <laughs> ship. Yeah, and I think um, that would make sense. I, I agree. I think automated battleships would absolutely make sense. And I think uh, they would absolutely still use automated deep probes. Because to your point, you don't need life support. And even at the warp speeds they're capable of, you can send a probe. It may take a probe 30 years to go one way and come back or send messages back. So I absolutely think that part of it works. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. Um, you know, I think one interesting thing, too, is Star Trek, the way they, they the way Roddenberry and them craft of Star Trek, which I will always say the, the, the Starfleet is a, is a military. I, I don't even get into that discussion. It, it's a I'm military. Yeah. But they, they did something very different, which is that in the, in, in Roddenberry's world, Starfleet almost never travels as a fleet. There's all, there's right. almost never a fleet. There's not like a, you know, attack group. There's not a, there's not a flagship surrounded by smaller ships and it really mm-hmm. should be. And so yep. I could see I could see having those automated ships as kind of a fleet of ships that travel with a with a say a galaxy class starship or other ships to protect them. Sure. So I always kind of miss yeah. the fleets in Star Trek. So oh, I guess we know what Veronica, you and I are expecting next week. What are you expecting next week, Keith? Um this is crazy. I was expecting Riker to come back for some reason because they're always okay. <laughs> they're always yeah. so I'm finding a way to, to, to bring the Titan back. So I'd love to see the Titans show up again and Riker do one of those. I love this job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got the dangling plot thread still of Boimler in section 31. I don't know if that's, that's coming right. this year. Or if William Boimler. Right. Other Boimler. That's right. I don't know if that's a thread that's coming back this season or if that's next year. Cause like last year they had, they dropped a little thread about the Vulcan and sin and we haven't seen her again yeah right and they were like she's gonna be back oh, next season yeah. i completely forgot about Nothing. her i like her yeah yeah, Me too. yeah. yeah. And then, i've been waiting for that 
And then what's his face, right? We're still not sure about what's his face is history, Rutherford. We're still not sure exactly what's going right. on with there. We just got yeah, that. We, yeah. we got a little bit. Yeah. We're still not sure why he used to be one way and now he's this way and who was behind that. We just don't know. Right. So I don't know. I, I mean, my expectation is that we'll get Agamus and Peanut Hamper taking charge of the robo ships next week, but they could. That makes sense. I mean, last year they threw us a big curveball and it was a first contact mission for the finale instead. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it wasn't any of the really the, pl- the plot threads that had built up over the year. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm they they tend to have surprises in store. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing what they do yeah. next week. Yeah. I can't believe, I can't believe it's this... already over. Same thing. Yeah, I was like, wow. I, I seem to remember just a couple, three weeks ago, rushing home to watch it before the show. And now, of course, there's not a whole bunch of episodes, but right. it's so I fast. Because Veronica and I missed like half the season. So that might be mm-hmm. why it seems that way. <laughs> same here, being sick and stuff. I kind of missed right. it. So I've been watching it in chunks. So it doesn't feel the same. Right. Still enjoying well, it, look- though. Yeah. You looking forward to Prodigy next week? I am. I like Lower Decks more than Prodigy, um, but I, I'm looking forward to it. And did I, didn't I read um, that What's-His-Face is coming back? Jellico yes. is going to be introduced in Prodigy? Yep. He's going to be the Admiral that I guess Janeway is calling back to Starfleet to talk to. Yeah. And then I saw so much stuff online and some other Star Trek Facebook groups where, you know, here's the thing. You bring up Jellico and that argument starts up again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it just I think up. Jellico was a good captain. Yeah. I'm on Team Jellico. <laughs> See, there you go, Veronica. I like that. <laughs> but what I did find, I forget, one of the sites I was reading, it was one of those, like, if it wasn't online, I, I'd actually even think about writing the edit. They literally called Jellico a villain. And that's mm. just bad writing. I mean, I worst case, he's, he's a bad rule. Or not a bad rule. I guess, this, is bad rule generic for all officers? I don't know. But I don't enough? think he was even a, was it, would you say bat, bat, Babkin? Bat, I don't know how you bat, say Babkin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he was even bad. I think Riker just had a chip on his shoulder. I, yeah. we're gonna, uh, we could, we could, we could go on forever talking about Jellico. So. Yeah, like three topics tonight. We could go two hours on I know. each topic. <laughs> but I'm, but, I'm interested in seeing Jellico come back. Yeah, yeah. The the last like the first five episodes of Prodigy, I thought they were good, and then the mm-hmm. the second five episodes of the first season just got Star Trek here every week. It seemed like exactly, and, and so I'm, I'm I'm anxious to see now they've got. Little uniforms they wear, and Janeway's yeah. back, and hunting Chakotay, and we're getting answers, and um, and I mean everyone's favorite Okana is coming back. So, <laughs> <laughs> I am most more than anything else, and I've said this many times. I'm excited to have Chakotay back because Robert Beltran as Chakotay is literally my top three underused, underwritten, underappreciated characters in all of Trek history. Yeah, and if he came back, it must be for a reason because I listened to. Um, to um the delta Qua- the, the the delta flyer podcast right with uh garrett wong and um robbie mcneil robert mcneil and they all say that basically robert belgian didn't want to do anything but shakespeare yeah that's mm-hmm. all he does he teaches shakespeare and they were like he just didn't even, he hated techno babble and he didn't love science fiction concepts so the right. fact that he came back is fascinating mm-hmm. to me and i hope that means they wrote some good stuff for the band yeah i hope so and i'm 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 intrigued to see what's up with Janeway. And I love that mm. in animation, you can have hollow Janeway and Admiral Janeway and yes. And, and do it. I mean, as if it was, you know, 2007 or something, right. you know what I mean? Like it's, right. she's, you, you can go sort of go back in time and play with those characters a bit. And I think that's fun. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I wonder if it well, says something that for many of us, 
looking back at characters is actually more exciting than some shows like Discovery looking forward at newer characters. I definitely hear more buzz around Return of the TNG crew, mm-hmm. Return of Janeway, Return of Chakotay, um, sometimes yeah. than I do in Return of Discovery, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Maybe because they're older. Maybe. Yeah, and, and you have an, you're an investment in those characters. But I mean, yeah. I said last week on the show, I'm mm-hmm. most excited about Discovery out of all the trailers we talked about last week because... I mean, I like Discovery and it's something mm-hmm. new and they're doing something different with the format, it looks like. So I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Discovery does. Discovery looks like it's going to be fun this year, which would be yeah. a nice change for Discovery. I'm intrigued. I have something yeah. to say about Prodigy, <laughs> but we did, but um, I didn't get to, a chance to interject. Sure, go ahead. And now I forgot what it is. Oh, good. Yep. Yep. Oh, I wonder... <laughs> I wonder what the number of viewers are that are actually like kids first discovering star trek and how much of it is star trek fans i don't know i mean you could probably tell by looking at the paramount plus numbers versus the nickelodeon ratings because mm, it yeah. airs on nickelodeon and i would expect that star trek fans are watching on paramount plus and kids on nickelodeon that's not going to be a hard and fast rule yeah but also there's there's kids whose parents love voyager and they want the kids to watch prodigy because they're star trek fans yeah and that's part of the part of the thing too so i don't know i mean i guess so, we'll see too how well the toys do yeah that's a that's a great question because trek was never has never been in any shape or a fashion aimed at kids not really it's always been wow. adults. um animated on the series shows. was a kid's show yeah but it's a saturday it had- morning cartoon yeah, but it still had you know adult themes that didn't have sure. teenagers in it. So that's true. So, yeah, I'm never. Um, that's a good point about. I'm wondering how many kids actually come to track the way kids came to Star Wars or something like that. Yeah, very interesting to see. Yeah, I don't know that you'll know for sure for mm-hmm. a number of years when you start yeah. meeting Star Trek fans who say, "Oh yeah, I, I saw Prodigy on Nickelodeon and that got me into Star Trek." You know what I mean? Like that was my yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. You know, but it'll be a while before we start hearing from them, just like it was yeah. a while before, like the Phantom Menace kids were huge in the, in the Star Wars fandom. People who came on with Phantom Menace <laughs> because um, they were kids. They were 10. They weren't yeah. on message boards in the late 90s. You know, gosh, somebody came on with Phantom Menace. What a concept. Oh, there's a whole generation of people who. <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole generation of people who I I almost can't did. But my my dad was a Star Wars fan, so I had okay. already seen I had already seen it, but I was like 11. Mm. No, 99, 13. I mean, okay. That what a I don't concept. know, I can't do math. What a 14. concept to have been drawn in by Jar Jar. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of kids I like Jar Jar. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. And that bad I think he's hilarious, but he's a terrible character. <laughs> Gone off the rails. <laughs> now we're attacking right, Star Wars. Keith, where can people find more of you? <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, so the ESO Network Facebook groups and Instagram and Twitter. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? I do. Let's mummy it up. <laughs> Good job. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping for the Tea Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.